following aviation podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast by thepilotreport.com about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Hey, everybody, and welcome to a special edition of the Stuck Mike Avcast. I'm your host for today. I'm the I'm the only member of the normal crew here, Rick Felty, and um, we just we'd like to you know bring you some extra stories between the the main shows just to. Um, you know, just to explore all sorts of avenues and, and areas of aviation. And so this seemed like an opportunity for that I've been wanting to do for a while to uh, record one with our guest uh, tonight. And generally what we're going to talk about is uh, studying for, you know, to studying to be a pilot, studying aviation. But we're not talking about private pilot training or any of the basic stuff there. We're specifically going to talk, I think, mostly about um, going to college for aviation, to study aviation. And what's that like? Especially at the beginning, how does it work? How, what's you know courses and flying time and all those kind of cool details that if you haven't really if you've wondered about it or been thinking about it, you know we can try to answer those. Um, and we'll be doing that with with um, my guest today, who is Andrew Blanchard. Welcome, Andrew. Thanks, Rick. Um, first of all, I think what we do is talk a little bit about um, how we know each other, and I'll just kind of go through some of that quickly, and then we can talk about your process. We um, we met, I think. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but we were both. Studying, we were both still student pilots at the time. I think when we first met. Yeah, it was a uh, almost like a YouTube meeting. Yeah, so it was online stuff, and I was flying out of uh, Norwood, and you were flying out of Marshfield, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. And um, what were you, just tell me about uh, what, what what were you training in back then? What was the what was the deal? Yeah. So um, well, back then, you know, I was I was young. I was I was probably you know fourteen or fifteen years old. Um, you know, just working, had a, you know, working towards a student pilot certificate in the future, um, trying to get my private pilot, and um, flying on a Marshfield, which is a small airport right on the Atlantic Ocean, just south of Boston, and um, 3,000 foot runway. Um, I was doing all my primary training in a Piper Warrior, a Warrior Two. Mm-hmm. Um, they had three of them there; they were all pretty much identical that I did all my training in, and went all the way through private pilot. Right, and and I yeah, and I I should have mentioned the thing to remember here is. When he's doing this, he's um, you know he's a high school student, and that you know there are a lot of people who do that. Um, I certainly waited a long time after my high school years to do it, but um, so it was an interesting thing for me to watch because you were juggling a lot, high school and uh, and flying. And we met up a couple times at Plymouth and at Plain Jane's and had yeah. breakfast or lunch or whatever. Yeah, absolutely, and that was a blast. So um, and then you know so you're, so we're both we're both uh, learning and all this, and then you. Um, at the same time, so if you're in high school, of course, what comes around is evaluating um, where to go to college. If you know, should you go to college? And most people do that I know. But um, and then where and what kind of thing? And you have you pretty quickly, from what I could tell, decided to look at schools for aviation. And maybe you could talk a little bit about that process and how you know how you came to decide to look in that direction. Or maybe you didn't. Maybe you looked other places too. Yeah, um, my uh, senior year came around quicker than expected, and uh, <laughs> ended up, uh, you know, diving into the college search as everyone does. And um, 
I, I wasn't totally sure that aviation was where I wanted to go. Um, yeah, I, I had you know a lot going on. I, uh, you know, my dad is was a firefighter, and that was definitely a big interest of mine. I had always been you know surrounded by that growing up, so that was something that was kind of in my blood. Mm-hmm. I'd always been interested in, and um, but yeah, I love flying just as much. And um, so it was kind of torn between almost two different career paths and trying to decide which one I wanted and. You know whether or not I wanted to do the medical field uh, and kind of do that route or or flying, and I loved them both equally. And it was really hard for me kind of to pick which one I wanted. But um, I ended up going with flying. And uh, so as the college process came around of applying for colleges, I still did not have my private pilot's license yet. I was a student pilot. I soloed on my 16th birthday, and um, I actually, you know, I soloed and I, I took a lot of time with my student pilot's license. I actually didn't end up getting my license till I was 18. Um, but that was a uh, so I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, and my training had kind of slowed down a little bit after the initial rush of the first solo mm-hmm. because um, you know just being in high school it was very busy. It was, it was hard to balance everything and find time to you know really buckle down and study for that private pilot, especially with college searches and scholarship applications and everything that yeah, came along t- with it. Totally makes so, sense. So, um, you know, as I started to kind of look into schools, you know, I started to kind of narrow down my searches and, you know, I really looked at aviation schools and, um, end of my junior year, I traveled down to Embry-Riddle University down in Daytona Beach, Florida to check that out to see if that was something, you know, I wanted to pursue maybe. And I loved it when I went down. It was, I, I couldn't believe that there was a school where they, <laughs> they flew and that, that was what classes were. And that's what you could get a degree in. Cause to me, it was always a hobby I paid extra to do. It was something that, you know, I went, you know, kind of above and beyond out of my own pocket to kind of pay for it. It was, it was a hobby of mine. Mm-hmm. And uh, I couldn't believe that, you know, someone was going to give me a college degree in it. And it was something that eventually someone was going to pay me to do down the road. Right. So um, that was kind of something that, you know, I, I really couldn't believe and I was like astonished by once I got there. And uh, so I, I really, um, I really loved that school. But the thing about some of the schools that I looked at were they were aviation schools and that was it. Hmm. And that was kind of something that was a real drawback, I thought, because I thought I'd be missing the big college experience if I didn't go somewhere that, you know, right. was a big school that was diverse with a lot of people. And every riddle was big. I mean, I'm not sure exactly what the student population is. I want to say it was around 5,000 for uh-huh. all, all the students attending there. But um, they had a great fleet. They had a great program. Obviously, it's world-renowned. Everyone knows it. So um, I, uh, I definitely took that into consideration. And uh, I also – that was the only school – Besides, I actually I visited a local school, Bridgewater State University, to see their flight program. Uh-huh. It's a little smaller. It's um, they only got you know about ten planes or so, yeah. but um, it was it's still a good program. So those were the two I visited before my applications, and um, huh. I gotten uh, I kind of compiled a list of schools that I wanted to apply to. I think I, I applied to not many. I, I tried to do all my aviation schools early decision, uh-huh. and then um, or you know early some sort of decision, yeah. and uh, then apply to safeties following it, just in case I didn't get into an aviation program. So I, I applied to Daytona Beach, um, the Embry-Riddle in Daytona Beach. I applied to Westminster College out in Salt Lake City, Utah. Mm-hmm. who has got a flight program. I applied to Purdue University. Um, I applied to Bridgewater State College. Mm-hmm. And I think that was it for flight programs. Mm-hmm. Um, applied to four. And um, I actually ended up, I ended up getting into all of them. Hmm, cool. Which was a big surprise to me because congratulations! Let's jump oh, right you. in there and say that. Thank you. Um, it was it was a big um, it was kind of a worry of mine that I wouldn't get into somewhere with an aviation program, and I kind of thought it was going to be like you know I'd get in wherever I got in and would just kind of have to settle with it and just you know flying airplanes isn't bad, so it didn't matter where in the country I was, you know I was going to be happy regardless. Right. And um, so once I heard back that I got into, I think the first school I heard back from was Westminster out in Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, 
I had, I just didn't even apply to safeties. I didn't oh. even get that far because I, you know, I figured that, you know, I, I would go to there to fly before I'd stay local and do a year of like, you know, business or something to yeah. try to reapply somewhere. So, um, I, I, then I heard back followed by Purdue, which I thought was a long shot for me. Um, I mean, it was really my reach school. Um, Purdue is very selective and I didn't think I was going to get in there. I actually, I know a, um, I knew a student at the time was a junior. He's now a senior there at Purdue. And he was um, very adamant about me applying there, and he was, you know, very helpful. Any questions I had, any anything I asked, and actually, I didn't even visit Purdue because I really thought it was a long shot, and right. they only accept sixty kids a year to their aviation wow. program. Wow! Opposed to Embry Riddle, who's accepting almost a thousand, mm-hmm. you know, other larger schools who have that room. Wow! So I didn't think I was going to get in, so uh, I didn't, I didn't go visit or anything. I applied there, and I was like, it's gonna, it's a great program, and I'm really, you know, really hope I get in, but didn't think I was going to. So I actually heard back from them second with a uh, offer for admission. So uh, you know I was wow. ecstatic when I heard back from them, and I, I heard back from Embry Riddle as well. I got in there, and um, then followed by Bridgewater. And uh, so it was it was kind of nice. The you know the tables turned. I actually got the pick where I wanted right. to go, opposed to uh, uh, just kind of settling for whatever I thought I was going to get. Right. So um, you know right. I was really intrigued. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say go ahead. Oh yeah, so I um. I was really intrigued by Purdue. I mean, it, like it was kind of really unique, and I, I heard about it, and I heard it was a good school. I just, you know, I didn't really have much, ex- you know, experience with, you know, that college in particular. Um, so, I me and my dad traveled out there. We traveled out um, just after Christmas time, my senior year, right, right as I was about to make a decision. We traveled out to Purdue, and um, which is a hike to get to. <laughs> it's, it's only this. That's the only downfall to that school. Is it's like a double plane hop. You got to fly to Chicago and then down, or no? It's a, you can um, go straight to Indianapolis, but then you gotta. Yeah, it's actually a little difficult out of Boston to get into Indy for a decent price. So I fly into Chicago, and then um, they have a uh, Purdue offer as a shuttle, not through Purdue, but it's a um, yeah, get you, get you out of there. So they they run daily shuttles, so it's not terrible. It's about a three hour shuttle ride back to the college after almost a three hour plane ride. So. that's the only really downfall, though. But me and my dad, we traveled out there. We rented a car, drove down, and um, I fell in love with it. it it's literally, I, it's undescribable. It's um, such a big college feel opposed to anything else I visited. Because I visited a local state college, and then I visited Embry Riddle, which yeah. are both very tiny. Um, so I couldn't believe how expansive and large it was. You know, right. almost fifty thousand students go there, and um, I couldn't believe it. And I, I, I visited it right during the uh, beginning of what would be the second semester. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, it was really lively, um, even though the weather was terrible, kids were out, everyone was out, you know, going to class, walking to class and everything. Mm-hmm. And um, I took a tour of the aviation program there, and uh, as well as the campus, and it, it was incredible. They, um, their fleet is uh, Cirrus SR-20s, wow. which are actually um, only three years old, so they're but fairly new. Yeah. So um, it's it's kind of a little treat opposed to uh, yeah, that's the one seventy two. Well, let's let's talk. So you end up so you end up going there, which we'll jump yeah. ahead to. Yeah, you made the decision to to choose them. Obviously, you liked it, but and then there's this gap. Just to this is a good part of the story, just for people who've been trying to become a pilot, where you're still a student pilot, you've accepted there, and you got to kind of figure out the timing to bust it to get your yeah. to get your private done. Or you don't have to. You could have done it there. But you kind of—it's easier if you go in, right, yeah, with well, it already. Especially with all the all the money and time I'd put into it, and you know, I was very close to my private at that right. point. Right. It was just a matter of finishing it up. Um, when I actually applied to Purdue, 
they don't have an aviation application or anything. You, you, you go online and you fill out a standard application with a standard essay and you just select your major and that's, that's all you can tell them. I can't tell them I'm 10 hours away from my private pilot's license or, you know, I'm doing all this stuff, you know, working towards it. It was, um, you kind of just had to, I actually, they have a little note section at the end and I said, I, you know, I'm working towards my private pilot's license. I should have it by the time I get there. And that's, that's the only way they knew anything about me. Interesting. So, um, you know, I kind of my fingers crossed when I applied yeah. there, hoping that they'd accept me. But um, so I did select Purdue, um, and you know, between you know senior year finishing up and everything like that, it's very busy. You know, I was trying to fly. You know, it wasn't as often as I'd liked, but you know, do a solo local flight occasionally. What did you have left to do? Did you have hours left? Did you have cross countries left, or was it yeah, just? Yeah, I had um, I had a, a law. I had my lawn private pilot cross country. Right. I, had, I had my night cross country, which was dual. And then I had um, I had some more time to build the forty hours. I was probably around thirty or so, right. maybe a little less. So I had some, you know, some miles, you know, some hurdles to jump through still. So, right. but uh, not terrible. So, um, but things spread out and it got, yeah, <laughs> it got so crunchy, right? With senior year, you know, wrapping up and everything going on, it, time kind of got away from everyone. And uh, next thing I know, it's July one, and I'm leaving for, for Purdue in thirty days, and. I don't have my private pilots on. And it wasn't like I wasn't trying or I forgot about it or put it on the back burner. It was just my, you know, life's real busy when you're trying to prepare. To well, go. and I think there was weather days, weren't there? There was some schedules. Yeah, it was, you know, you can never get anything right with the weather in New right. England. So, right. um, so I ended up, actually, I ended up uh, my last month of school, I ended up skipping a day of school when the weather was good to do my long cross country for my private pilot. And um, yeah, so I got, I got everything done and, um, so it got down to check ride time. I went and took my written about maybe 15 days before I was going to leave for school. And I was expecting to do the check ride, you know, a couple of days right after it. So I'd be fresh on my knowledge portion. And I uh, took the written, no problem. And I uh, went and uh, scheduled with the local examiner for my uh, check ride maybe about two weeks before I was going to leave. So plenty of time. And that way I'd be able to, you know, maybe do some recreational flying before I left and everything, mm -hmm. gave myself a little bit of time to kind of enjoy it before I went right back into the training environment. But, um, I, you know, I had the check ride planned and I got a call the morning before and the, um, the examiner suddenly became unavailable to do to some sort of, you know, uh, unforeseen event. So, uh, my check ride got pushed to two days before I was supposed to leave for Purdue. And I was going to leave August 9th, and on August 7th was when they scheduled my check ride at 12 in the afternoon. So um, it was crunch time at that point. You know, I was absolutely praying for beautiful weather, and uh, you know that because I'd only get one shot at this. The other thing was um, by scheduling it two weeks ahead, I had hoped that you know, God forbid, you know, I, I made a mistake on my check ride or something like that, and I didn't pass. I'd be able to do it one more time before I left. You know, I'd be able to, you know, get some recurring training or something like that and definitely give it another shot. And with this, it was all or nothing. Mm -hmm. uh, because once you go to Purdue, uh, they they want, you know, they train you in a Cirrus, and I was flying a Piper Warrior. So, I mean, you have to do about 15 hours in that plane before you're even confident in it at all in the system. Right. Because yeah. I was flying a six-pack steam gauge, and then you get the G1000 systems and a new airplane and a much higher-performance airplane than when I was flying much faster. So, um, you know, it, it would have been a real process to try to finish up the private pilot. So, uh, you know, luckily the weather cooperated and I was able to finish it up two days before I left <laughs> school, <laughs> just in time. So, uh, I finished up my check ride, no problems there. Cool. And, um, just in time. I think that's just a great story to tell people. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it was, it was close. It was certainly some white knuckles. Right. 
Right. But, um, so, so, okay. So cool. So now, I mean, this is the part where, I, where, so that's kind of the background. We've known each other for a while and you got there and you got your, you got it done and then you, and you picked your school and, and, um, and now sort of you go, so you go to college and, you know, most people listening probably know what, you know, either if they haven't gone to college yet, they're planning to, or they're, or they did and they know what that's like, but what's it like? Cause it sounds like uh, Purdue is, you know, it's great. It's, it's a, it's a big school and it's a, it's a school with people studying all sorts of things. And then there's a bunch of people studying uh, aviation, but how does your program work? Is there a way you could describe, you know, class time, flying time, you know, how, and again, we should tell everyone you're midway through your freshman year. So this is yeah. really a discussion of fall of freshman year at one particular aviation school um, may not be representative of any others, but at least it'll give you some idea. So go ahead. Tell us a little about Purdue that you've yes. learned. So, um, my circumstances were a little unique because I did walk in with a private pilot certificate. So um, I kind of skipped the first semester because the first semester centered around introducing you to aviation and getting you your private pilot certificate. Oh, huh. So, and they crammed that into a semester, uh, surprisingly. But uh, they're able to do it, and uh, everyone actually this semester did finish on time, which was very, we were very grateful for all the great weather we had. But um, So does that mean in the fall of your freshman year, you're working <clears throat> in many cases with people who were, are, you know, sophomores in the yeah, program because in, you were already that first semester done where that where everyone else was catching up to you, kind of. Yeah, correct. Um, and and I wasn't. I was by far not the only person that will come in with a private pilot. I'd say you know, twenty maybe twenty people uh -huh. also had it. Right. So, um, I was definitely not alone. Um, but I was thrown right into commercial flight training which wow. is kind of unique. Um, so <laughs> cool. I was learning a new airplane, uh, just trying to figure out how to do commercial flight, um, being held to the commercial standard and everything like that. So um, that was, it was kind of unique and at the same time trying to figure out college because um, yeah. I had all my general education classes to take as well. You know, I, I'm looking at my um, breakdown of classes now and I, I had a, a mandatory English, math, and an, an introduction to technology class. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, I took a political science elective and then commercial flight, too. Oh, okay. Um, so coursework-wise, one of your courses is aviation-related directly. Yeah, that, right that was pretty much just first semester. They, right. they try to get a lot of your you know, general education classes out of the way. Sure. Um, a lot of the tedious ones, they just try to like you know, move yeah. you through real quick. But um, actually, next semester, I'm, I'm in almost all aviation classes, um, whether oh, it's wow. you know, uh, aviation business or... I'm taking a class of aerospace vehicle propulsion and tracking systems. So all kinds of crazy stuff, wow. airport design and layout. And I, I still can't believe that's, that's college right. <laughs> for me. Because I've cool. been so used to it just being my hobby and not my full-time job. That's so. interesting to me that that quickly, after one semester, it really gets full full boat about aviation, which is great. Yeah, yeah they really ramp it up. And I, I'm more than excited. And uh, actually, I start my instrument flight um, ground courses when I get back in January. Cool. So what they do is it's very unique how they get you through your commercial and instrument ratings. Um, they use the hours to kind of build on each other to help you accomplish both at the same exact time. Oh, wow. So um, you, they, you know, if you say you went in with absolutely no training, you'd start um, your first semester would be your private pilot certificate. Um, they get you through your private pilot in a semester. You'd come back starting second semester after uh, the uh, holiday break and go right into commercial flight one. By the end of commercial flight one, you should pretty much be able to pass, you know, almost be able to pass your commercial check ride. Hmm. Um, then you go into commercial flight two, which is just building on those um, fundamentals of the uh, maneuvers for chandelles, lazy aids, um, aids on pylons, stuff like that. 
Uh, also, a lot of cross-country flying. Um, mm -hmm. they, I already knocked out my long commercial cross-country. I flew uh, from Lafayette out to uh, Autonomy, Iowa, huh. and then and then back in uh, one Sunday. And um, so they do a lot of cross-country flight. I did 53 hours of um, wow. dual and solo time um, combined this semester, mm -hmm. and uh, 15 or so was cross-country. Wow. So. Um, they certainly they, they let you do a lot of cross countries and stuff like that, which is great. Um, What's the timing timeline on expecting to be instrument rated? Is there a timeline on that? Like you said, first semester they make sure by the end of the first semester you got your private pilots. But do the, is the instrument or commercial timed? You know, is there a, pl a place when you get those, or you tr is there a goal? Yeah, you should have them by the end of your sophomore year. And I, as I was saying, they they do this weird kind of combining of the commercial and instrument flight courses where you you're doing all this commercial flight which is building all these hours and preparing you and you do end up doing a lot of simulated instruments part of that and then at the same time you're taking instrument ground courses hmm. and then something unique about Purdue is they've got three serious um, FTDs that are you know full cockpit I mean everything except for the movement pretty much is, hmm. what, is what they are so they've got the G1000 suites in them and the panoramic views outside and when you do your instrument flight courses, which for most people would be your sophomore year, I'm going to start them my freshman year, mm -hmm. um, they actually put you in the simulator for mm -hmm. uh, two entire semesters beforehand, before you even get in the airplane. So you, you fly, yeah, I'm not sure exactly on the hours, but um, you, you do every sort of instrument procedure you'd ever have to do ever wow. in the simulators. And so that way when you get in the airplane, it's you already have it down pat. You, you, it's muscle yeah. memory at that point. Right. So they they do that, and it's actually they they do that again when um you move on to fly the Phenom jet as part of the courses when you wait 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 <laughs> you jumped ahead. Oh my goodness, you get yeah. to fly the what? Yeah, they um Purdue actually was another big part of my selection um with the school was they are the only school currently right now with a jet as part of their training fleet. Wow. So they yeah, they just took delivery last year of a brand new or uh, maybe the year before that took brand new a brand new Phenom 100 jet. Wow! So it um, they are training you. They have an FTD for that, and um, you do 50 hours in the FTD and then 10 hours in the actual airplane, which isn't a lot, but it's some experience to yeah, what cool. it's going to be like to actually be in the cockpit. So. Wow! Wow! So tell, one of the things you told me about, or one day I, we were tweeting or something, um, you you know, sort of have. A plane hour allotment per semester is that true? Something yeah, like so um, they they um, give you a certain amount of hours per semester that you can fly based on your your course load. Um, for I know private pilot and commercial flight, it's about fifty three a semester, fifty three hours, mm -hmm. and um, that means that you are entitled to those fifty three hours that semester. You've paid for them as part of your tuition, and you're entitled to them. So. You might even finish your, uh, you know, whatever check ride you might be taking. You might do it in less than 53 hours. But you can second. go ahead and use the plane. But yeah, it's 53 stuff. hours, as long as it's, you know, yeah. safe training. Yeah, that, yeah, you yeah. Know, you're not going to get $100 hamburgers. I don't think they, <laughs> they'd probably frown on that a little I bit, hear but. in Ottumwa, Iowa, they have great hamburgers. So that was probably worth the trip. They do. They do. <laughs> they certainly did when we landed. I um, bet. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so they, they give you those hours and the, the most... The most interesting thing I thought about, about in my first week was not opening my wallet every time I went to the airport. And that used to be something, you know, you'd have to pay for your flights. And I've already have it's all paid for. So it's, you walk down and you say your name and they give you keys to a Cirrus, you know, <laughs> half a million dollar Cirrus. Wow. And they say, have fun. We'll see you in an hour. 
and nice. then you bring it back and you give them the keys and that, that's it. Nice. That's <laughs> and, amazing. Um, it's, it's kind of an interesting feeling. I mean, technically you're paying for it. But, yeah, but life is good. <laughs> yeah, life is good. Um, let me ask you about the because I know you've taken those trips, like the, the one you said, the long cross-country, commercial cross-country. There were other people with you, right? Or, or were you alone in the plane on that one and there were other planes with you? It was a group trip. Yeah, there were actually other planes with me. Okay. Um, the, uh, unless it's dual, um, uh-huh. flight with the, your flight instructor, um, you have to be solo. Okay. So they, they don't allow passengers and they don't allow other pilot rated passengers. Got it. Which so is, it's it's just like it, when you're studying for pilot. Yeah, like a student pilot yeah. type deal. You um, and a CFI and then someone can be a guest if that's happening, but otherwise it's yep. you. Got it. Exactly. Yeah, same thing. So um, we actually, uh, there was five of us that day and we, we had a flight planned. Um, Purdue's got certain routes that are planned. Um to make sure that there's services available to see, uh, to, you know, whatever you need out there is with, whether it would be, you know, m- mild airframe maintenance or so, whatever yeah. happened, they want to make sure there's stuff on the field wherever you are headed. Right. Um, that would be able to take care of you if you had to, or make sure, you know, pretty would be able to deal with someone that's on. Right. So it's helpful to you, but also good for them because. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So they know you're going to a place that's, you're going to be, you know, you're going to be okay. at. Yeah. So, um, we have certain routes and, you know, uh, the long commercial cross country, I think there's five routes is, um, uh, there's one up into Iowa. One out to Iowa. There's a couple down south into the Kentucky St. Louis region. There's one out to um, Ohio, and there's one up to Wisconsin. Hmm. And um, we all wanted to go on the Wisconsin trip. I mean, based out of everyone who's taken the course so far, they said that's the best one. You actually would go up to La Crosse, Wisconsin. Yeah. And it's actually the airport's kind of built out into a river. Oh, cool. So apparently, it's a very cool, and it's right on the um, Minnesota border. So I guess it's a very cool trip, plus, a very cool airport with some great, you know, restaurants at it and stuff like that. And people, plus you have to deal with Chicago to some degree too, right? Yeah. Which so, is kind of um, cool, I imagine. Yeah. So we were all kind of looking forward to the trip through Chicago. And um, actually, we were going to stop at Rockford, Illinois on the way back and okay. do a touch and go there. So that, that, was, um, that makes it across country with three legs. Right. As Purdue standards say. So... Um, we were all we all planned this cross country and did a lot of pre flight planning. That's one thing that Purdue makes you do is um, the pre flight planning is very extensive, uh, way more than anything mm-hmm. I did for my Part sixty one flight school here. Mm-hmm. Um, it almost becomes your full time job to plan flights, right. and uh, so I had a flight plan filed and planned, and uh, so did a couple other kids, and we were all going to make this trek in our individual airplanes. But there was five of us, so there's going to be five Cirruses on the same flight plan headed up north. Wow. Or on five identical flight plans, as it is. Okay. And um, so, you know, we, we get down to the airport and, uh, you know, last minute check. We, we got our briefings, you know, probably 12 hours before. And then we, we go down and get them again at the airport right before we take off. And uh, they closed Rockford on us. Wow. Right before we were about to take off. So um, they had closed the Rockford runways for a day long of resurfacing. It was a Sunday that we were making this cross country. Hmm. So, um, Right before we took off, we're like, oh, what are we going to do? So we consulted with one of the, um, the full-time flight instructors at Purdue, who's kind of responsible for our training and signing us off for all these flights. Hmm. And um, we were hoping that they'd let us pick an alternate that they knew would be good because uh, we all really wanted to go to Wisconsin, and uh, they said, no, can't do. Um, pick another flight. So luckily we had the plane all day, um, sunrise to sunset. So you know, five of us all sat down together at the big flight planning table and went to town on a flight plan from Iowa and uh, we all sat down and we all did it together, checked each other's numbers, everything looked good, called, refiled our flight plans, um, got new weather and everything that looked like a good flight 
And um, we all departed, and there was five of us spaced about a mile apart on the same flight, or five different flight plans that were all identical, mm -hmm. all talking to approach mm -hmm. uh, together. We were actually talking to Chicago Center, which is cool. very interesting to talk to a center frequency. I so as a newly minted private pilot who doesn't have too much experience doing mm -hmm. that. So it was, um, it was a good flight. It was, it's very fun to be out there, and especially when, you know, Autonomy is a very, very small town in Iowa, just mm -hmm. over the Mississippi River. And when five, you know, identical black and gold and white cirruses all come in and line up together, wingtip to wingtip on the ramp, and wow. they came out and took pictures and everything. It was very, it was very cool. It was wow. A very like a, very like cool experience. Like an aviation show. Yeah. Like almost. a flight show. Do some loops. Yeah. Um, <laughs> wow, that's cool. Well, I remember that one. I remember uh, there's a, there was a few other times. I think you got, well, I don't know if this is something we talk about, but I remember one of the trips, I think you went up to, a, to, to Notre Dame. Was that a flight or did you just drive up there? Actually, that, that was that was kind of a unique trip. That wasn't Purdue related at all. Right. Um, a buddy of mine who uh, he's actually from locally here in Massachusetts also goes to Purdue. He's studying mm -hmm. aeronautical engineering. Um, he got his private pilot as well as a senior in high school, and I had been talking to him because we were both going there, and um, it was it was nice to know someone else locally that was going out there. Turns out there's a lot of kids from Massachusetts that are actually in flight out there. Huh. Probably three or four. So. Um, I wasn't alone, but this kid, um, he's going for aeronautical engineering, so he wasn't going to be in the flight program, but he went and got checked out in a 172 out there because he wanted to stay current and do some flying while he was out there. Mm -hmm. uh, he, his parents got the opportunity to get, some, uh, get their hands on some Notre Dame tickets out at, um, up in South Bend, right. Indiana. And uh, so he had asked me if um, I was interested in flying along right seat as a safety pilot type scenario and going to see the game with him. So that was really the first time I used aviation for like recreational use or for, like, you know, something cool. other than structured flight training because I did finish my private pilot two days before I left. Right. So I never got to take a passenger. I never got to do anything fun. I, it was all structured training. Right. So, um, and then at Purdue, it's, it's very structured. So, uh, we both, um, he flew PIC and I flew right seat, but, uh, he was under the hood for the majority of the flight. Um, both ways, so we both got the log time and everything, and um, oh, so cool. I flew safety pilot, which was which was interesting. It was the first time we got to use you know aviation for fun. That's cool. So, yeah, so we went up there and taxied onto the ramp with you know some golf streams and other <laughs> alumni who were from Notre Dame, and I it bet. was our little you know our assessment still dripping oil all over the ramp. <laughs> well, that's you know what that's par for the course. That's great. Yeah. Um, so the other flight I wanted you to talk about because we we did we did have an exchange about this one. You had a you know you had a challenging flight solo i think you were you were practice it was practice area stuff for, but you can tell me about it but you had you had some problems and some decision making you had to make um on that and i think it's an interesting story to tell yeah um i ended up uh i did 11 hours of dual flight instruction in the series before they let me soloed um they wanted for their insurance they needed 10 and i used about 11 mm -hmm. so um they let me solo, and I went up and did a local flight, I think, Monday morning, and everything was, you know, it was nice to be solo finally and not have an instructor with you. And so it was getting used to the airplane, still doing maneuvers in the practice area, really trying to nail down the airplane and get comfortable with it again. You know, private pilot stuff like stalls and slow flights, just, yeah. you know, stuff like really versing myself in the airplane. And um, so I, I flew every other day. I flew a Monday, Wednesday, Friday schedule at 7.30 in the morning, so I, I go down for my Wednesday, Wednesday slot, and I was told I was going to go um, solo again. So you know, I you know, pulled the plane out, and pre-flight went fine, and started up, and went to the, went to the run-up area, and everything was fine. I took off, and I flew north, 
um, they they section every airplane has a number. So you're either Purdue zero through Purdue you know fourteen. So each airplane has its own designated area around the Lafayette area. So maybe one I think it's zero through four head north. Um, six through whatever head to the southwest and others to the southeast so that way they kind of keep you all out of the same area it um, tends to help with collision avoidance and stuff like <laughs> that so you're, all your TCAS aren't going crazy right so um i was headed up north i think i was in purdue too that day and um took off from lafayette and head north and everything was fine during the takeoff and got up to cruise and did my cruise checklist getting ready to do some maneuvers just going to do some private pilot maneuvers and maybe some commercial stuff and um, I was just just learning chandelles at that point, you know, very very like uh, entry level commercial maneuvers, and um, so I was I was going to practice chandelles. So um, I you know went to perform a chandelle. So I you know added power, rolled into a turn, pitched up, and um, all of a sudden I get this um, message on the G one thousand. It's called the cast message, and it's you know it's a like a warning type system, kind of like a enunciator panel, but it's actually on the G one thousand. And um, it was blaring uh, uh, C-O-L-V-L in bright red, which didn't click with me initially. Now that I think about it, CO level, mm-hmm. carbon monoxide. But didn't click with me at first because I was a little overwhelmed. I was, I was not only in the middle of a maneuver, which you got to stay pretty coordinated to do right, and um, I was, you know, trying to fly the airplane, and I've got this siren blaring at me, and the screen's mm. flashing red, and I'm like, "This is not good." They just <laughs> let me fly their airplane, and I broke it already. And um, so I, I break out of the maneuver. I just, I just stop the roll, pitch forward, pull the power back to cruise flight, get it level and trimmed, and the warning goes away as I reduce power. So I'm like, "That was that was really strange." I got to look up what that message was. So I, you know, I clicked on the. Um, that display and was able to receive or relook at what the um, the message was. So uh, luckily, I had my POH right in the right seat next to me in my flight bag. So I grab it, and that's where they keep it. They don't have that in the emergency checklist. They don't have the the actual symbols. Mm-hmm. But um, in a POH, the placards are in there. So I open the open flipping through the placards, and I find it. And it's uh, it's a carbon monoxide level high. I'm like, great, you know, this is just great. And uh, so like, so I'm about 20 miles north of the airport at this point, and it went away, which. Um, yeah, I figured if I was in immediate danger, that would still be blaring right in my face. And um, but it did go away, and I didn't cancel it or anything. It went away on its own. So uh, I kind of went through the the items on the checklist to prevent it or to silence it if you had to. So it was um, you know fresh cabin air, stuff like that. Make sure the heater was off. Um, and uh, so I you know I didn't think it, it went away. So yeah. I was like, huh, I was like, I wonder if you know something strange. You know, I had the heat on maybe too too much or something like that. I mean, that kind of made sense in my own head. So, you know, I, I flew around the area and I felt fine. I mean, the plane was performing fine and the, the warning went away and I knew it wouldn't. It would still be blaring if there was, a, there was an immediate danger. And um, so I kind of bookmarked that page in my POH and put it next to me and I had the AC on at that point. And uh, so I I kind of start, you know, moving my way back towards the airport, maybe back towards, you know, the southern side of the practice area so I could be closer to the airport. And, you know, I, I was kind of, you know, I was like, okay, I, I might try another type of maneuver or something like mm-hmm. that. And um, so I ended up trying it again, another chandelle. And um, I got the same warning again, but this time it stayed on. Hmm. So that is where it got a little interesting, a little so you, back, you you did the same thing. You backed off, you, you stopped yep. the maneuver, and yep. it did not go away. 
No, it didn't go away initially. I mean, it, it ended up, to, it did go away. Eventually, but it a took a while. Minutes, but right. it didn't go away like last time. And that was enough to concern me enough to head back. Um, right. So, and I, I know that thing's probably very sensitive. And I'm sure it detects parts per million and everything like that. And I don't think I was in any immediate danger. But, that, you know, that's not stuff to mess around with. So, um, I, I made my turn back to the airport and uh, called my 10 miles north and just proceeded inbound. Um, but I was, I was ready to, you know, I was always kind of just making sure I, was, I felt fine. I wasn't fuzzy or anything like that because I didn't want the, you know, the system to malfunction on me and I could actually be in danger. But I had full fresh air on and it was something about adding full power. And I think that I ended up, they didn't end up telling me exactly or never figured out exactly what was the problem, but they did a bunch of tests on the airplane. They grounded the airplane after I got back. Mm-hmm. Uh, did for their maintenance department to go through. And um, they, apparently they had been having some trouble with the um, the seals around the doors. Huh. And apparently on the passenger side door, the seals have been coming off a little mm-hmm. bit in that airplane. And that might have been enough that when I was at a high nose-up attitude for the exhaust to sneak in oh, through the door. Wow. So that that's what I was told was the problem. Mm-hmm. But... Um, it was certainly interesting, especially being a new airplane. I mean, like I said, I, I didn't know what that message meant when I first looked at it. I had the mm-hmm. reference of BOH to look at it. Um, right. But it, it was a new, you know, a new airplane, uh, new environment, new airport. Uh, right. you know, still, I was newly minted private pilot. I probably had 10, hour, 10 hours under my belt as PIC right. at that point. So, um, you know, it was, uh, it was very interesting. It was a little eye-opening. Yeah. <laughs> something that I will definitely pay a lot more attention to next time. Yeah. And it's something that, um, like, you know, I mean, I fly a Piper Cherokee back at, uh, here in Massachusetts when I get the chance, and we don't have a, f- a fancy alarm to go off on a CO detection. We have, a, like, right. a little, little sticker that changes colors. Right. And it's something that's kind of in my head now that I, I guess I didn't look at before, but now I right. pay a lot more attention to it. And, um, right. What's the, let me just jump, let me jump on to something else real quick. What's the um, airport like? There, at Purdue. What airport is it, and you know what's it like? Is it just for the school, or is it the town's airport? You know, who? Yeah, it's um, it's the uh, Purdue University Airport. It's uh, Kilo Lima Alpha Foxtrot, uh-huh. and um, it is located in Lafayette, Indiana, which is actually on Purdue University's um, land. There, uh, technically, it's owned by the the city of Lafayette, um, but it is named the Purdue University Airport, and pretty much designated for just flight training. Okay. For, uh, there is an FBO on the field that rents airplanes. Um, they do. They handle a lot of uh, um, private traffic on game days and stuff like that. Right. When when it's big, uh, a lot of private jet traffic and stuff like that. There's actually a, a med flight based off the field. Uh-huh. Um, but it's, do, it's, what are the runways? What, 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 do you, what is it? One? Is it crossing? Yeah, we, it? Uh, crossing runways too. It's a Class D, Class uh-huh. Delta airport, um, towered. Um, okay. There are certain hours of the day. And uh, we have one uh, 6,500 foot runway. Uh, okay. That's pretty wide. They actually land, you know, 737s on it when the teams rent them to travel. Okay. So you, there actually is some large traffic that comes through. Okay. And uh, we also have a second runway that's just over 4,000 feet long. That's um, a crossing runway, mm-hmm. much uh, thinner. Used for pretty much GA traffic and yeah. the phenom, um mm-hmm. during some of the advanced courses when they actually do short field landings in the airplane. Um, cool. So it's uh it's actually the busiest airport in the in Indiana. Um, we do have uh, Indianapolis International Airport, right. but uh, Lafayette does more operations every day than wow. the uh, Indy wow. does. So very busy, very uh, it's a much different environment well, than I was used to. So are you, are you having fun? It sounds yeah, like you are. Absolutely. Um, you know, I'm still kind of in that 
transition phase of figuring out college and right. uh, everything that's going on and uh, how to study and live right. on my own and everything. And it just happens that I get to fly all the time, which that's is fine by me. Very cool. Very cool. What is there anything, any words of advice for people who might be thinking, you know, there's a lot, you know, I think we have some listeners who are kids, you know, young people who are haven't got, haven't done the college thing yet. Any words of advice about it or just, you know, do you recommend if, if they're in aviation, check it out because it's great or, or are there any cautionary words for them to think about or? Um, yeah, uh, certainly, um, give it a shot if you're interested in it. Uh, I can't, you know, recommend enough going to take an intro lesson or something locally. I mean, if you're, you're a couple of years till you're going to college or anything, you know, the private pilot's license is totally reachable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, even if even if you don't want to do it, you want to wait till college, which is you know most people choose to do. Um, going to take that intro lesson, being introduced to aviation, and um, kind of lighting the lighting the fire, sparking the flame, right. um, kind of will keep you interested. It it doesn't take uh, much effort once you fall in love with something to, to follow through with it. It's true. So, and then um, you know, flying to college is kind of like a dream come true. Uh, you know, especially for me, it was it was just a hobby of mine. Right. And um, now it's my full-time job, <laughs> and uh, cool. I'm not getting paid yet, but it's still absolutely awesome. And I couldn't couldn't do anything else. I don't think. Wow, that's very cool. Well, thank well, thanks for coming on the show and talking about this because I want I wanted to get a sense out there what it's like to do it because I I don't know I, I I won't know that so it's kind of fun to listen. And um, I would definitely say we want to you know have you back to talk more as you go through the program because. It's a fascinating thing, and because you're gonna you're gonna have a bunch of ratings before you're done, I assume. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you very much for uh, inviting me on. I was glad to kind of share my story and sure. hopefully, you know, be able to talk some people into maybe following the same route as well. And I, I, you know, go ahead. I'm just you know looking forward to being able to continue, guys, share my story with you guys, and yeah. um, I'll keep you guys updated. Please and, do. Uh, well, that, there's another thing we always ask is: is there any way, you know, you want to throw out some contact information if people want to follow you on Twitter or or a website or Facebook, you know, is there anything you want to throw out there for people yeah, just so uh, they know, yeah. know how to reach you if they want to reach you? Twitter handle is uh, ATBlanchard12. It's uh, A-T-B-L-A-N-C-H-A-R-D-12. Um, Facebook, Andrew Blanchard. Feel free to friend me. If you can find me, it's probably the person with the airplane as a profile picture. <laughs> and... Uh, so feel free to get in contact with me if you have any questions. I'd love to help. Um, cool. Well, great. Well, thanks a lot for being here. Yeah, and no um, thanks uh, to everybody for listening. And we will be, I, uh, per, the way we tend to schedule these is we're back with a regularly scheduled uh, show in the next, uh, the next show down the feed. So um, we appreciate you listening and we always appreciate your comments. So you can reach us uh, at uh, stuckmikeavcast.com. And um, that's it for, for me and for the rest of the, the hosts of the show who weren't able to be here this week. Uh, I think Len tends to say clear skies and calm winds, everybody. Take care. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Abcast is an aviation podcast brought to you by thepilotreport.com, a Len Costa production.